Uh, so let's let's pray, and we will jump in again this morning. Lord, we thank you and we praise you uh, for this time together. Lord, we ask and pray for your wisdom. We pray for your help. Lord Jesus, we pray for your spirit uh, to help us to be faithful in speaking the truth with gentleness and respect, in being uh, both compassionate and courageous as we uh, interact with people and talk about this uh, issue of abortion. Lord Jesus, we ask and pray that you would change hearts and change minds. Lord, we pray that you would change laws, that you would bring abortion to an end. Uh, Lord God, there are so many things to pray for related to this issue. But we pray specifically today that you would help us to be equipped uh, to answer pro-life, or excuse me, pro-abortion uh, arguments, Lord, from a, from a pro-life perspective. So we ask for that, and we pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Okay, well, we, just by way of just a very quick review, we started last time talking about how our goal in apologetics is to give a reason for the hope that we have, and... Uh, we talked about how we need to do that as we discuss uh, issues, whatever issue it happens to be, uh, with gentleness and respect to those that we're talking to. Doesn't mean that we can't be firm, doesn't mean we can't be bold, doesn't mean we can't be courageous, does mean that we shouldn't be arrogant, we shouldn't be aggressive, we shouldn't be uh, angry, um, at least not, we can be anger, angry in our spirit, right, but be angry without sin. Um, so we should do all this with gentleness and respect as we talk with people. We talked about how uh, we need the Holy Spirit's power as we uh, do apologetics, not only in helping us to make the arguments, helping us to speak, but helping us to live the way that Jesus calls us to live, to be gentle, to be gracious, and then also in working in the hearts of, and minds of the people that we're speaking with to help them understand the truth. And then... Uh, we talked uh, a lot. We started with the central issue here in the abortion debate. Um, the, the main thing that we want to keep bringing this back to again and again and again is what? What do we want to bring it to? What do we want to press home on the, the hearts and minds of the people that we're talking with? Repent. <laughs> yes, repentance. The gospel is crucial. I was actually thinking about the fact that the unborn is a human being. It's a human person. That's the central issue. If, if what's in the womb is nothing more than just a clump of cells, if it's nothing different than, say, uh, your uh, gallbladder or tonsils or something, then absolutely take it out, throw it away, like toenail clippings or something. But if what's in the womb is a human being, it's a human person, made in the image of God, then that means that that human being has dignity, value, worth as God's image bearer and is worthy of equal protection under the law, worthy of, of, of rescue. So that's sort of the central issue. And then last time uh, we, we started talking about um, some of the various arguments, ones that we addressed, which I will not go back through again today, are uh, men should... Uh, shut their mouths about this issue. Um, be silent. What about cases of, of rape and incest? What about uh, the issue of the life of the mother? We talked through those last time, and we're going to pick up uh, this time with the last several arguments. So hopefully you have your thinking caps on, because I want to hopefully make this somewhat of a discussion. We can go back and forth, and we can talk about different answers and, and uh, ways that we would respond to these uh, different objections. 
and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to put, put this all together. You guys ready? You okay? Okay, so uh, argument number four then this morning, uh, dealing with the, the argument of, of my body, my choice. Very common objection. This is a bodily autonomy argument. Um, I have a, a whole set of responses to this, but before I go through that, let me just open it up to you all. Someone, some, some woman says, look, it's my body, it's my choice, leave me alone, or get your laws out of my uterus, or something like that. Um, what do you say? How are you going to respond? If it's not your DNA, it's not your body. Okay. And, you know, every, every child has a unique DNA at the moment of conception. Yep. And the we talked Bible, about that last time. That's right. Keep like, going. Keep going. The Bible talks about when Sarah, she conceived and bore. Yep. So in other words, there's two verbs there that, you know, conception is the, the start of life. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if you're going to talk about the first breath objection. No. Okay. I mean, it's an objection that I've heard people tell me that are pro-abortion about, you know, that. Which, it, which is? Well, um, I'll have to admit, I'm interested in hearing a response. The only thing, you know, in the Bible it talks about Adam had the, you know, God gave him his first breath. And so pro-abortionists will say, see, it's not a human being until it breathes its first breath. Okay, and, I, and it's kind of like, well, that referred to Adam only. It did not refer to anybody else that you know comes you know from the womb, um, and then the conceived and um, bore issue. The two verbs is what is the only way that I answer the first breath. But getting back to your central question about the yeah. DNA, at, at that moment of conception, there is a unique DNA that is unique to that child, and that's all. That's all that it is. And so, if it's not. Your, you know, if it's not your DNA, it's not your body. If it's not your body, it's not your choice. That's right. Yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. So uh, the addendum then, or the rebuttal, would logically be, however, even if even if we can acknowledge the humanity of the unborn, they are an invader. They are occupying the woman's body. The the the. Uh, I, I think that the response to that would be China just uh, in the last week or two executed uh, two, two people, a man and a woman, uh, who were, I, I don't know if, what the nature of the circumstances were, but they, they basically threw their two toddlers off of a 20-story uh, out of an apartment to their death. And so in China, they were found guilty of, of this crime and were executed. The reason being, obviously, is that these two children were dependent upon them. So it's one thing, for example, suppose I'm holding a toddler over a ledge because he, he fell out and I managed to grab him before he fell, fell to his death. I've got a grip on him. If my physical capacity gives way and I let go, that's a tragedy. However, if I have the ability to hang on and save him, I am ethically and legally culpable for pulling and drawing that, that child back in, even though they are dependent on my body, right? They are dependent on my body, but they are, the fact that their life is greater than my convenience. So in the case of um, 
the occupancy of a woman's body for that for that short term, uh, the then the woman is ethically uh, culpable. She has agency, ethical agency, to maintain that life for the duration. Yeah, for me, I put that in a separate argument, but we can talk about it now since we brought it up, yeah. which is perfectly fine. So we want to talk about. Um, and we'll have to come back to the whole my body, my choice thing. But these two things are connected, and we're going to find that with most of these arguments, they're interrelated to each other, which is totally fine. Um, so, okay, so let's talk about the, uh, the, the baby is sort of an unwanted invader or something like that, right? Uh, and uh, it's not fair to make me, you know, do life support for this uh, baby or, or something along those lines. Um, so the analogy between pregnancy and forced life support, forced life support fails um, because like in, in, an ex, in, in an example of like forcing you to care for somebody else's life, you don't have a choice. But here the woman had a choice. She, she exercised choice. She exercised freedom beforehand. She chose to participate in physical intimacy um, and the result is a human being. So it's not like she is uh, forced forced in that sense, or, or also in that sense free from uh, moral obligation. She's responsible for her actions even if she didn't intend uh, to get pregnant. So, I mean, that's the whole purpose, not the whole purpose, but it is one of the purposes of physical intimacy is to bring about reproduction. Um, but we have to foreclose the rape incest as well, because that's that's the camel, the camel nose under the tent that tries to open it up for all the other silly. Yeah, we talked about that last time, so we, we I'm not going to recover that ground. But right. the but idea the is is there that there has to be an answer to this that doesn't isn't based off of what you said. In case it is that case, say say that again. You have to deal with that exception as well. Sure. So that, yeah. 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 And 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 again, the the ethical. Uh, agency plays plays an important role regardless of the circumstances of how you got there. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, you've already given one of the major arguments for this, and that is that a civilized society, we all of our laws are designed to restrict certain rights in order to protect other people. Uh, that's what a civilized society does. We we limit an individual's freedom to choose whatever they want, especially when that choice would harm an innocent person. So it's reasonable uh, for us to expect um, we're going to limit this this supposed right that you have. It is a right, but it's not an absolute right. The other side of that is then also the fact that when we compare rights, the right to freedom to choose what you want to do is lesser than the right to life. The right to life is more basic. It's more foundational. It's more important. Um, and that's the one that needs to be upheld. Um, so what, what are we bringing this back to, though, again and again in all of these arguments? That this unborn is a human being. Right? This is a person uh, worthy of dignity, worthy of life. You were going to say something. I... Yeah. Go um, ahead. I think we need to um, rethink or fine-tune the argument in light of the trans issue. Because if we say that anything to the effect that that parent does not have choice over their child's um, life, then 
we can they, that you know any argument we use along that lines it's got to be able to fit because a parent does need to have a choice uh, the ability to protect their child if they decide to go off and do something that's you know physically harmful that is sanctioned by the state so it's just a you know I think we have to take both into consideration so that we're not destroying the argument on the, on the other issue yeah well and how would you okay so let's open that up for discussion how would you nuance that I thought about that but it's a good point right so it's like on the one hand we're saying look you as a parent you don't have the right to kill your child right mm -hmm. uh, but you as a parent do have rights over your children right yeah. uh, and and what what are those rights what do they include what do they entail I think it's a well-being issue sure if you frame it in the sense of well-being where we're going to land, eventually what we're going to have to get to is we're going to have to show that transgenderism is not in the best interest of the child. Right. It, it, is, it is a well-being issue, but they're going to say, yeah, it's their well-being. If you don't let them transition, they're going to kill themselves. I mean, that's the argument. Uh, they're going to hurt themselves. So in order to prevent that, you need to let them transition. So what we need to be ready with is we need to be ready with, well, no, okay, here are, here are the five reasons why that isn't true. Here, here, here are the, all the reasons why uh, transgender surgeries, even transgender, even just if you go with the gender dysphoria and, and the feelings side of things without surgery, here are all the reasons why this is not in the best interest of the child, and that's gonna run the gamut, right? That's probably beyond the scope of our class, but yeah. to answer your question, we wanna draw distinctions between uh, Parents don't have an absolute right, right? Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. But it does come down to a central core issue, and that is the life, the safety, the health, the well-being of the child. Now, we might have disagreements about what that means. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. There's, there's, the irony is thick there because on the one hand, they want to argue that the parent has the right to kill the child. On the other hand, they want to argue that unless the parent does something that their child is going to die, therefore, on the one hand, they're, they're affirming the killing, and on the other hand, they're fear-mongering the death, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're arguing both sides of it. However, the consistent view then it has to do with the affirmation of life. That which is, is advances life the biological integrity of the human being as so defined by nature. Yeah, well, when it comes to, what did I do with my pen? When it comes to, um, okay, one of the things that we wanna do, we've talked about this before, and we won't go into it in depth today, is in apologetics, a helpful thing to do is to point out worldview inconsistencies like that. And they're, they're, they're full of them. You just have to pay attention, right? Where we're going to be contradict, they're going to be contradicting themselves. We want to point that out. Um, okay, so we we've been talking here now about two arguments. I'll just go back to um, woman's right versus the baby's right, and just try to hammer home that the comparison between the two is unequal because what's at stake um, in an abortion is the mother's lifestyle versus the baby's life. Those are completely different issues. Um, the point is that the parent's free choice is not the highest moral good. The baby's right to life 
and right to care and nurture is greater than their autonomy, greater than their, um, their right to choose. Okay, so let's go back then to my body, my choice, if we can. And the first response that we've had for this argument is, uh, hey, wait a minute. No, what's in the womb is a unique human being, and we know that because it has unique DNA. We talked about that last time, so we won't go back through that. But that's true. That's scientifically true. There's also the biblical argument, right? And then we talked about last time the logical argument for what's in the womb being a human being. So my body, my choice, first response is something like, uh, well, no, that's scientifically false. That's not your body. It's genetically unique. All right. What else? How else would you respond to that? Other thoughts? Go ahead. Uh, if it's your body, then you would be the one being dismembered onto death here today. Yeah. Well, and th what if they said to you, well, no, because if I have like a surgery, I'm not dismembered unto death. What would you say? I'm well, just playing devil's advocate, literally, this time, not just metaphorically. Well, one of the things about, you know, the rape and, the, hey, this baby is invading my body and, and, yeah. and things like that is mm -hmm. that 70%, at least this is the statistic that I heard, 70% of women who are had conceived as a result of rape go on to have that baby. And there are a couple reasons for it. One is that they receive expert counseling because they're victims of a crime, all right? And the expert counselor will tell them, hey, it's healthier for you, mom, to have that baby mm. than it is to have an abortion. Because mm. we know that abortion hurts women physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, you know, down the, the whole line. Yep. And so they go on to have that baby. More of them go on to have that baby rather than to, because yep. it, it's healthier for the mom. Yeah. And so Dan's issue or objection about this thing invaded my body type of thing, you know, it, even if it did, the healthiest a you know, choice for you is sure. to go on to have that baby and yeah. have somebody adopted. Yeah, and we'll come back to that no. for sure. Um, I was hoping that you were going to say something along the lines of also expert counseling is going to say don't create a second victim. <laughs> and that, well, yeah, no, but, but, they didn't. They didn't do that. But the woman knows yeah. that innately. Yeah. That she she's a she's been a, a victim herself. Yeah. She's not going to make the baby a victim. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. That's a, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say this argument of my body, my choice reminds me of the argument like back in the day for domestic abuse. Like the, like the man's like, this is my house, my family, I do what I want. Yes. And, no, there's victims there. There's other people. So yeah, it just reminds me very similar. So if it's so, can I do anything I want inside my own house? No, I can't. You can't do anything you want with your body. You're not allowed to use your body to hurt somebody else. You don't, like, we don't allow people, this would be another argument, we don't allow people absolute autonomy with their own bodies. Right? Go ahead. Context matters. And sure. So, so, for example, people who advocate for abortion will, will want to assert that pro-lifers are anti-abortion, which we are not. There are contexts, for example, stillborn. You know, it's still a unique body within within the woman, but the, sadly, the child has died. Abortion is called for under such circumstances because it, it becomes detrimental to the to the remaining life of, of the mother. Uh, we're we're allowed to persist, but bounding bounding the problem is is important in the sense of uh, you know we're not able to do uh, 
whatever we want with with our body. Um, uh, notably, if it involves hurting someone else. However, there are other circumstances that really are not just gray areas, they're a little bit more pronounced. So for example, if you, you find a dilemma where uh, the mother and child, both lives are in danger, it becomes, it becomes a gut-wrenching ethical choice that I don't know that the Bible speaks specifically to that, but the general consensus within society has long been that's really something that, that then has become a grueling private matter. Understanding, though, that we're always siding toward life. Yeah, we covered that one last week, too. Ah, well, yep. okay. So if you're listening to this online and you want more, go back and listen to part one, and that one's covered. And talking about, then, in that case, uh, f- following... Uh, pro-life principles, we have a solid answer to that. I would just want to nuance and say that it's not really an abortion in that case. It's a different thing. It's medical a medical procedure. Uh, yeah, the procedure might be the same, but the the reasoning behind it and exactly. the motive for it, the goals, they're different. So, all right. So, my body, my choice. Number one, it's not your body. It's scientifically different, or it's genetically different. Uh, number two. Uh, you don't have absolute bodily autonomy. You can't do anything you want with your body. You're not free to use your body to steal things from other people. Um, second or third, um, people might say related to this, you keep your laws out of my uterus or don't force your morality on me. Um, what would we say to that? They're forcing their morality on society and on the child. Sure. Everybody, you know, it's, it's, is there ever any time where we're not forcing a morality yeah, or imposing system. some kind of yeah. morality? Exactly. Um, so not your uterus, not your business. The government shouldn't tell a woman what to do with their body. Um, that's what laws do, though. Someone's morality is always being imposed. And that's one of the main purposes of government, to pass laws and enforce laws to protect its people. But also um, that's, a false, that's a false phrasing. And again, we, we have to... We have to attack the premises upon which false statements are made. So the government telling a woman what to do with her body, that is patently untrue. Well, you're telling you what you can't do with your body is a better way In to say context, it. In this context. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, we've already talked about we don't begin with a woman's right to choose um, because uh, the, the innocent human being's right to life is greater. So I'll skip that one. We've already talked about it. Um, Question. We, yeah, go ahead. So, so can we defend the autonomy of the unborn? Can we, for example, is it a, is it a free speech issue? Um, is abortion a free speech it, issue? It, yes, for the unborn. They're, okay. Their voice is being silenced. It's being snuffed out. Sure. So we've got, I mean, it's kind of going backwards, but we've, there's evidence there are a lot of people who know that um, their, their parents, their mother considered abortion and didn't. And so they will give speeches say, I'm really glad my mother didn't abort me. Or even more, those who were attempted abortions and they survived. Yeah. Um, do we have any examples of people who were aborted or attempted to be aborted and have said, boy, do I wish they had succeeded. <laughs> and so the thing is that 
I, I, I hope not. I hope that we don't have any examples yeah, I mean, of that. I haven't heard of them, and maybe they committed suicide, and we would never know. Right. Um, but, but, I mean, there is such evidence of people who stand up and, and make these arguments because it's personal to them. But the thing is that, that this unborn child does not have, they have not been given a voice. And to, to say that, um, I, isn't there some argument that could be used to say their, their right to have a voice in, in the matter um, needs to be protected? And they're not able to have that voice right now. And so... You're, okay, I want to know what you guys think as a room, but I'll just, it seems like that's, wrapped into that is like two or three other arguments that you're sort of pulling in all at the same time. Well, I've never heard, it's not immediately compelling, necessarily, but maybe someone would find it compelling. Um, You're pulling into it things like, um, this person has a voice, so in other words, um... There is a larger long-term impact when you take the life of a human being because they're no longer around to speak, mm-hmm. act, contribute mm-hmm. to society, and so forth. The, the, the caution there is that um, we want to just be careful that we don't tie yeah. worth and protection to contribution to society and so forth because that's not what we believe. They have intrinsic value, right? right. But there, but that's not to say that there isn't a larger societal impact that goes on because we've lost sixty million plus people who aren't here to whatever. Well, I'm mainly thinking of that that baby, yeah. those individual babies, and them having a right to have a say in what is happening. Yes, and in that case, now you're bringing in the other implicit argument that I was going to talk about is um, that that we should care for the vulnerable, the weak, the needy, those who, like like uh, the mom says to King Lemuel in Proverbs, like speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Yes, right. That's part of what's that reference verse? It's Proverbs thirty-one. Oh, okay. Someone look that up. It's Proverbs 31 something, 9, I think, 8 or 9. Because um, I think the, the Proverbs 31 woman starts in verse 10. So I think it's verses 8 and 9. Um, so, the, so there's other arguments wrapped into that. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of, I think it is very powerful to say like, hey, uh, you know, like when we're framing it as my, it's my right it's very powerful this to argue. Well, this person is a person, and th- what about their rights? Yeah, yeah. And they're the weaker one, mm-hmm. so we should be defending their rights. Mm-hmm. In fact, you've already exercised your rights. Amen. Y- you've already you've already chosen a path, and with of course the exception for rape and incest and so forth. But ninety nine percent of of what we're talking about here is. You've exercised a right, and you don't like the consequences of what you've chosen. And now you want to kill someone to escape the consequences of your actions. And what about the what about their rights? You know, it's like, well, this is a woman's rights issue. Well, half the unborn are women. What about those little women? <laughs> you know, like, don't they get a voice? Exactly. That's 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 like and to play into rhetorically the, powerful. Yeah, the culture today, 
you, by taking that life, you are putting on the oppressor mentality. Correct. You have become the oppressor. That's right. The oppressor. Yeah. That's a very powerful argument. Uh, that's a, that's one of the um, that's one of the things that I had in the in the previous uh, the previous arg the the previous one about rights. What's happening in abortion is exactly the opposite of the gospel. The the the, the gospel says I die for you. Abortion says you die for me. It's completely the opposite. It's completely upside down. So yes, that, that I do think in our current cultural climate, the idea of your being an oppressor would have pretty good street cred in, that, in the, on the left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we're talking to people on the left. Yeah, go ahead, Rita. Um, I know I'm prehistoric, but I would think that these women that are saying, my body, my choice, would have the intelligence to know that they did have a choice. Yeah. And the result of their choice is what they're trying to get rid of. It's like saying, I can eat a chocolate cake and later throw it up. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, you had a choice and you made your choice and there you like are. Like I can eat chocolate cake and I should have the right not to get fat. <laughs> exactly. It's, I mean, it can be, but that seems to me to be the same thing. Right. People that are 12 even know that the result of the act of intercourse is the possibility of a baby. Therefore, it's no surprise when that baby comes to, to uh, becomes uh, conceived. Yeah. Then you have no right anymore because you've already done it. Yes. And that's small comfort to somebody who's in that situation. But holy smokes, that's anybody knows that from way back at the beginning of time. Yeah, they're, they're not they're not being um, logical. Yeah, to all of a sudden have this baby that they don't know what to do with, and duh, that's what happens when you have sex. Yeah, that is what happens, um, and I don't think that makes you prehistoric. I think that just makes you accurate. <laughs> um, okay, related to this is the idea of you're forcing me to be a parent, and the idea is no, no, no one is forcing you to be a parent. First of all, because of the argument that you just made, but second of all, because you can you can keep your uh, you can keep your baby or you can give it up for adoption, right? You can you can carry that baby to term. What we're talking about is we're forcing you not to kill another human being, right? And someone might say, well, it's really hard for a woman um, to give her baby up for adoption. It's like really really hard for her to do. Um, okay, granted, it's really hard, but why is it so hard? <laughs> you know, like, it, it's because it's a human being. It's because you bond, because it's your child. I mean, like, we have to listen carefully. Just as a principle, if we're thinking about this, listen carefully to the arguments that people are making and ask questions. Well, why is that the case? <laughs> you know, like, what are the sort of underlying assumptions or presuppositions that people are carrying into the arguments that they're making? And then just point those out like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because it's your child. It's because you bond with this baby uh, because um, uh, this is a person. So, all right. The, the, that needs to be corrected, though. You're, go ahead. No one's forcing them to be a parent. They already are a Correct. parent. Correct. Yes, they are a parent. But I mean, and when I say that they're not being forced to be a parent is... They can they can give the baby up for adoption if they choose. Right. Uh, they're not like locked into parenthood.
for the next 18 years necessarily because they can give their baby up for adoption. But it is true to say like, no, you're already a parent, right? Right. Even um, if they give it up for, for adoption. Okay. We lost the recording for a minute, so I restarted on a new device. So if it sounds different, it's because we're slicing two different kinds of audio together. Also, ensconced is a great word. Yes. <laughs> I love that word. That's why I like ensconced. Okay. I want to mention these books uh, because I keep forgetting, and, and I don't want to do that. Some the much, not all, but m many of the things that we're talking about today are found or from these books. So Why Pro-Life, Caring for the Unborn and Their Mothers by Randy Alcorn. Uh, Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Arguments by Randy Alcorn. This book is old, but the arguments are still good. So the statistics, you can't use it for stats and stuff like that anymore, but arguments are good. Then Scott Klusendorf, The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture, uh, Defending Life uh, by Francis Beckwith, A Moral and Legal Case Against Abortion cho Choice. And the last uh, book that I'll mention is uh, Ethics for a Brave New World by the Feinbergs. This does not just talk about abortion. It talks about a broad range of ethical issues. So um, I had Dr. Feinberg in seminary. So those are some resources for you and, and want to give credit. Let's talk about um, another argument. Let's talk about unwanted or hard life. So... Um, this is another very common objection. It can take several different forms. Uh, what if a person can't take care of the baby? Or what if they don't want a baby right now? They can't afford it. It'll grow up in poverty. What if the baby has Down syndrome? It's going to have a really hard life. What if these are bad people and the baby is going to be abused? Um, the common thread is that the baby is, is unwanted or it's going to have a hard life. Does, does that make sense? So how do you... How do you respond to arguments like that? Uh, we could ask, should we kill a human being because they're unwanted? They're not unwanted. There are plenty of people that want them. Sure. That's another argument, right? So they're not who unwanted by whom? Right? The parent. By, by the parent, right? Um, so, so that's another argument. But even if the, like, let's just say, like, should, should they have that right? Should a parent have a right to kill their child if they don't want the child? Does, does it make any sense? 
We want to trot out the toddler. Remember, we constantly trot out the toddler. Would this work? This is your Chinese case, right? Like, you've got toddlers, and I don't want them anymore. And so, do we have the right to kill them? What about a three-month-old at 3 a.m.? <laughs> like, I can't sleep. Is that, is that permission, then? Permission granted? No. Go ahead. No, but the, the, the quick dismissal is actually that, that captures, it, it encapsulates the whole mentality is we are against chattel. We, we don't make human beings chattel. We fought a war, a civil war over that very concept, and we rejected it. Yeah. Why are we re-embracing it? Yeah. Yes, that's a good argument to make, connecting the, the similarities between uh, slavery and abortion. Um, somehow, this argument also implies that abortion is in the best interest of the child. <laughs> um, like, 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 this is good. It's good for me to kill them, which, of course, is absurd. Um, you're taking from them the only life that they had. That's not in their best interest. It's in the best interest of the parents. Um, what about hard circumstances like abuse or poverty, um, people living in those conditions? We're going to ask the question like, well, is the solution to poverty right now to kill the people who are poor? Uh, ask the World Economic Forum and they'll say yes. <laughs> scary. That's scary. Um how else would you respond? Anything else you would want to say to this one? Well, if you put the, I think it's the same thing that wants it by people who aren't poverty. Yeah. Uh, who want to get them as have a good life. Yeah. Why would we deny them that right? Yeah. There's so many examples of people who grew up in, in Caribbean poverty who, who became uh, great world leaders um, and greatly advanced the, the cause of humanity. And therefore, it is not the circumstances of how one begins, but what they do with what they're given. Yeah. And maybe we can help along the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's 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 like it's like saying that we. Don't, what we're not saying, I don't think, is we just say that the gets hard, and then after that, figure it out. You're on your own. You're, we're not here for you anymore. D- does does it make sense? Yeah. Like, another it, counter it, is, to, is to make them define that line. What line? How, how poor must one be? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, were you gonna say something, Brendan? No. No. Sorry. Okay. Um. Okay, what about the right to privacy? We touched on this one already. Abortion's a private decision between a woman and her doctor. It's no one else's business. State's compelling interest. Meaning? That the state has a compelling interest in the preservation of the life of its citizens. <laughs> yeah, okay, therefore, sure. Therefore, it isn't just the woman and her doctor. It's the state, it's your neighbors, it's your rest of your family, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of society is impacted by it. And also, this is Marsha's argument from earlier. Yeah. If there's domestic abuse or whatever, yeah. So if there's man the house, it's not your private house. You can do whatever you want within those walls. Yep. Yep. It's also not a medical decision. It's an elective decision. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going back to the the life of the mother issue, connecting it to that, absolutely. Would this be a time to interject God? 
How so, Rita? Yeah. Where are these people, by and large, not not don't believe in a higher authority? Because we we don't make any of those decisions without uh, calling on the Lord, on some supreme being. Yeah. Well. Okay. So I think the answer to the question is: Is this an appropriate time to bring God in? Is yes. Any any time you can, <laughs> right? So like at any time you can say, in this case, I think, I think what you're saying is something like, well, none of our decisions are private, i.e. hidden from the sight of God, who, who is going to hold us accountable for the de- decisions that we make, good and evil, um, regardless of whether or not they believe, we still want to look for, for any and every, I think, on-ramp to the gospel when we're talking with people about this, right? Um, so this isn't just, hey, we're, we want to defend life. We're trying to save lives, but we're, we also are trying to save souls at the same time. And ultimately, the answer to this problem isn't it's a sinful heart that's driving all of these arguments. Like what's, you, you know, you mentioned earlier, Rita, like, why can't they just think logically? Well, they, they can't because their minds have been blinded by uh, the enemy. They have a sinful nature. They need a new nature. They need a new heart. Um, and they'll live a new way. They'll have new thoughts, etc., etc. So, yes. Go ahead, Josh. Um, sir, what she was saying earlier about bringing God into it. Yeah. The issue of it's not just a private decision between the woman and her doctor is since everyone is made in the image of God from conception yeah that baby is made in the image of God correct and therefore it's not just a private medical decision it's a uh, attack on God's image mm-hmm. which isn't just something that can be uh, a private medical deal that's a huge deal that God hates yeah a hundred percent and like sort of tying it to what Dan said a moment ago not only does the state have a vested interest, but we might say that God has a vested interest here. Like this is his creation. This is his image bearer. Ultimately, his interest is the one that matters the most in this case. Yeah, 100%. This is great thoughts. Um, yeah, go ahead, Randy. Uh, you want to get God's results, you got to put God in the formula. I, sorry, I missed it. What did you, you say? You put God in the formula if you expect God's results. Put God in the formula. What do you mean by that? In your counseling, yeah. In your interaction with someone, pro-choice, yeah. You got to bring in God if you want God's will to be done. Yeah, Amen. I just want to say Hallelujah. I mean, like Amen, right? Um, okay. What about we? Uh, we touched on this one, I think. But everyone's free to believe what they want, and you shouldn't try to impose your morality on other people. I think we've talked about this one. Is there anything else you want to say about this? We've talked about how all laws impose some kind of morality, and the only way to then avoid imposing a morality is to get rid of all laws, but that would be chaos. Um, So we have all kinds of laws against uh, drunk driving and smoking crack and robbery and child abuse. All of those laws impose a certain morality on the free will of other people. Um, What else would you want to say? Josh, you want to add something? I would say that we're not imposing our own morality. We're imposing God's absolute moral law. Yeah. So it's not coming from us. It's yeah. coming from the absolute authority, mm-hmm. which is 
a way to avoid uh, the whole dilemma of, you know, you think this is right, I think this is right. No, it doesn't matter what we personally believe. It's we have to conform to what God says. Yeah, and there's a way, we've talked about this before, to go from the moral argument to God. is a moral argument to God, right? So there's a, here's another sort of on-ramp to talking about the Lord here. Yes. Did you want to add something? I did. Go. Uh, the... Uh, at the point where you bring in God, now we're imposing religion yep. upon, you know, which the answer to that is that murder is not just a religious issue. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's the law of the land. It's uh, against, you know, and I, that's the biggest objection that I hear from people is that mm. uh, as soon as you bring up the God issue, yeah. right, it's I'm imposing my religion upon you. But the religion is you know, extends far beyond, uh, you know, the imposition in, in another person's life. It's, it's what, you know, reality is. Again, and the, and the biggest um, answer to that is the issue of murder. In other words, you know, murder is not just a religious issue. You know, it's a moral, and, and I, you know, unless you're talking to a person who is a murderer, <laughs> okay, yeah. then, you know, you, you, you have, you know, not answered that objection. But everybody uh, I, that I've ever encountered, you know, that is the answer for it, that, you know, murder is not just a religious issue. Yeah. And, I wonder if anyone is free from religion. <laughs> you know. Everyone serves some kind of God. Right. No, no. I, I, so it's not like, hey, I'm, I don't system. have a religion over here. Right. Yes, you do. Everybody has a system <laughs> of beliefs. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the, you know, and what they, whether the way you call it a religion or not is... Correct, you know, exactly. Dan, go ahead. You want to add? So uh, when Randy brought it up, uh, internally I, I said amen, but in terms of the discourse, I find my, I see red lights, and, and here's why. Um, discourse on God and spirituality is a consequent end of this discussion but it is not a prerequisite to entering into it. I believe that, scripturally speaking, God, God appeals to us to look at, at nature because nature speaks of him. He doesn't say, you have to believe in me in order to believe in nature. He says, look at nature and you'll end with me. When it comes to the issue of, of life here, these the arguments that, that we're, we're, we're presenting, people will, 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 will get caught in a detour talking about the nature of God and religion and subjectivity and all of these sorts of things. And when we're on a road that's leading us necessarily to God, we don't need to get ahead of ourselves. We want to, we want to take the road on its logical course to its logical end rather than appealing the end before the rest of the argument, is, the rest of the road is laid. You'd made uh, a reference earlier on in terms of the question uh, about um, Down syndrome and so forth and, and made the appeal to, well, what about, you know, if this turns out to be a bad person sort of thing, okay? And so um, many arguments are made today which would shock people 50 years ago uh, or longer to say, uh, well, 
we should disqualify such and such a person from being able to participate in polite society because of what they might do. But they haven't done it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all, that's all hypothetical. What I was talking about there was more like they're going to be born into an environment of abuse, not that the person themselves is going to be bad. I want to go back to what you said a moment ago, though, because it's, it, it, it's worth talking about a little bit more. Um, you t said something like God is the consequence but not a prerequisite to the conversation. And that is true as far as it goes. However, God and Scripture and the truth is foundational to the conversation. Indeed. And... What you're pointing out is really the difference between like a classical understanding of apologetics and how apologetics should be done versus a presuppositional form of apologetics. I think that a presuppositionalist would say, um, no, I don't have to wait to call this person to repent because they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, i.e. deep down they know this is a human being, they know that this is murder, and I can point that out and call them to repent not necessarily having to make all of the arguments beforehand um, a, a, as, a, as a way to get to that place. So we can take both approaches. I'm not, I'm not saying this as like an either or, like either we do it this way or we do it this way. I think we have to be willing and ready to, to go both directions. And especially, uh, I've, I've sort of learned this as it relates to the ministry that happens at Planned Parenthood because we have a short window of time and we, we don't have a lot of time. I'm not going to give six responses to the my body, my choice um, as the woman walks from her car door to the door of the clinic. We, we don't have that kind of time. Does, it, does that make sense? So there's a sort of a time and a place for these different arguments depending on who we're talking to, what they're like, how obstinate or open they are, uh, what's the context. All that, all, wherever we, wherever we are, but I do think it's fair to say, um, you know, something like, "Ma'am, you're already a parent. Please don't kill your child." That 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 child is is God's. You, you can make all those arguments and go right to the heart of the yes, issue. Yeah. So I just want to draw that out because uh, it's not like a either or. It's a. I think it's more of a both and. Right, in, in the context of discourse, however, so we're not, I, I appreciate what, what, what you're saying in terms of context. Yeah. And uh, we understand that conviction precedes repentance. Yeah. And so the, the, the point of the discourse, of the apologetic exchange, is to bring about conviction. Yeah. So that repentance can follow. What, what am I repenting of? Who am I repenting to? To me? No. To God. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And so that just helps us remember, okay, always bring it back. This is a human being. This is a life. This yeah. is a person. They, they have dignity, value, worth. They deserve to be protected. Does it make sense? Like, that's where the conviction comes. Because most people, I think, still most people, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we've slipped so far that this isn't true anymore. But I think most people still think murder is wrong. Context. Would you agree? Unless, I mean, like, unless I, you're a serial killer. I'm, unless you're a serial killer, right? Unless you're a serial killer. Uh, or, there, may be, there may be are some people. I'm talking about, like, the understanding of, like, born people. We can't just haul off and murder them. Like, I think most people still see that that's wrong. Maybe not. I think so. 
reporter on that one. The connection to the Holocaust is the similar argument where if that person is inconvenient in your life, yeah. as the Germans thought of the Jews back, you know. Yes, they're less than human in yes. some way, right? So we, that's why we want to continue to argue like, no, this is human, human from the beginning, human from fertilization, a.k.a. conception, um, worthy of, of protection, etc. Oh, okay, um, another argument. Let's try to do these next couple maybe a little more quickly because I want to leave time to talk about this, the final argument. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Have you guys come across this idea of like if abortion is illegal, then we're, we're going to have to go back to coat hanger abortions? Is that okay? How would you respond to that? The only woman whose health is at risk is the woman who wants to murder her defenseless, innocent, preborn child. Okay. Meaning? Well, I mean, if you know, if you're willing to murder your own child, your child should have at least you know some defense. Yeah. And that defense is that hanger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because I, I don't remember where I saw this. This isn't from me, but like, um, oh, I think it came from, no, no, that's a different argument. Um, uh, what's implicit here is that the baby in the womb is utterly defenseless. I mean, like, imagine if the baby in the womb was armed and in 50% in, <laughs> right. in of the cases that the abortionists got killed. They'd quit. Like the only reason they continue to do this is because there is so nothing they can do. It's yeah. a total power imbalance, etc. But okay, let's go to this this stand track with this coat hanger abortions. I think the the argument is kind of it's rhetorically powerful, right? Um, but it assumes what it's trying to prove. It's begging the question because it assumes that abortion should be safe and legal, and that the unborn aren't really fully human, right? If, if the unborn are not fully human, then this person has a, a point. For example, appendicitis can kill you and we wouldn't want to make it illegal to have an appendectomy, the surgery to remove an appendix in order to save a patient, um, right? So if, if people started dying from appendicitis and illegal, illegal appendicitis operations, then it would be right to keep them legal, but we're not talking about removing a person's appendix or tonsils. We're talking about another human being. So if they're fully human, this argument is like saying, uh, this is something like what you're saying. Hey, people are getting hurt or they're dying in, in the process of trying to kill somebody else. So the government should make it safe and legal for them to kill people so that they don't get hurt in the process of killing somebody else. Um, it's, it's saying we should legalize procedures that murder innocent people just to make sure that the killing process is safer and less dangerous for the murderer. That's absurd. And that argument only works if the unborn isn't a person. You want to add? Yeah, to me, uh, the, that explanation is too, too hypothetical. When, when we make it more direct, concrete then. We have a direct parallel that we can use. So in terms of um, uh, urban crime and uh, uh, crime victims and so forth, Rather, rather than uh, outlawing uh, uh, theft, that retail stores should just open their doors and, and not, not get in the way of, of theft. People can, 
pay to choose to pay or not to pay because it's their choice. Yeah. Indeed, those who are going to be carjacked and maybe murdered, rather than having that ugly and terrifying uh, uh, experience, then they should leave their car open and go to a government facility so that the, the owner of that car can be euthanized. That is absurd, right? It, it, it flies in the face, and yet it, it's something that progressive prosecutors and, and bad law and the refusal to enforce law is, is causing, it's resulting in greater harm to society writ large. It's a right Indeed, to the criminal. That's what, that's what the coat hanger abortion, the private abortion, versus government-sponsored facilities and all this sort of business. It's the parallel. No, crime happens and crime must be prosecuted. Not rather than saying, throwing up our hands saying, well, people are going to do it anyway, let's throw away the law. Well, we, and I mean, I guess if we're trying to use the carjacking example, it would be something like, we want to leave our cars unlocked because we don't want the car thief to hurt his hand when he breaks the, the window. The rights of the criminal. Like, yeah. so we're trying to protect the criminal <laughs> so that he can more safely steal my car. Right. Right. That shows the absurdity of the argument. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, uh, you, yeah. go ahead. I mean, well, first of all, the obvious abortion isn't safe. Two people go into the clinic and one comes out. Maybe. A lot. Um, yeah. Sec but secondly, there, it seems to me, uh, at least I've read, that there's a lot of evidence that indicates that abortion actually isn't safe. For the, for the woman having it done. Let's talk about that one. That's another argument on my list. So let's just jump to that one right now. I don't have all, I've heard it. Yeah. You know, I don't have all that. I haven't formulated an argument, but, but I think that, that would be the premise. It's not, it's already not safe. Yeah. Not safe for the mother. The mother. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you have a sign like that that yeah. you put out there? What does that sign say again? The, uh, you know, abortion increases the risk of uh, breast cancer in women. It's, not, I didn't say that. The American College of Pediatricians, you know, tell you that. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you go to their website, <clears throat> they will give you a five-page document that maybe somebody like you could understand it, but I don't. <laughs> because it's completely filled with medical medical terms. jargon. At home. And um, it shows how, you know, as a woman becomes pregnant, the, the changes that happen in their body, and when that is abruptly interrupted you have a lot of medical consequences to abortion. But it's just it's not just the uh, physical consequences. Yes, They're emotional right. and psychological. More women are treated for depression later on in their life as a result of having an abortion. You know, uh, more women attempt suicide as a result of having an abortion. I mean, it's the whole issue of the woman's health is something I would always have thought that, that that's what they would pay attention to. Yeah. You know, but they don't. That's, you know, my experience has been, you know... So, like, if you're trying to make this argument of it's better or it's... it's abortion healthier. is worse yeah. for the woman. Well, it's healthier the to have healthier. the baby or... Yeah. Ha yeah. They don't, they don't listen to that. Yeah. Go ahead. Those physical things you're talking about, like, increased cancer risk or whatever, is that still, like, it, um, if you have a miscarriage, is it still the same health, negative health? Uh, the, it, you know, when a woman has a miscarriage, again, I get this information from the American College of Pediatricians. God has constructed the woman's body in such a, you know, meticulous and miraculous way that when a miscarriage is happening, that process slowly slows down. It's not an abrupt thing. 
um, that the issue of you know raising uh, uh, the risk of breast cancer happens with women who uh, deliver prematurely. All right, it does not happen in the case of a miscarriage. Yeah. So I don't have all of the medical. the the medical data in front of me, but we want to make we want to make a couple arguments here. Let's let's maybe say three. Uh, number one, we want to say that um, that that baby over there is super cute, <laughs> and that is a solid pro life argument. Bring that cute baby to the or a picture. Yeah. Um, so n- 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 number one. Uh, there are f- negative physical consequences of abortion. And we want, I don't have this data in front of me, which I, I should have, otherwise I, I feel unprepared. But, uh, and there we want to split it down into maybe two different directions. There's sort of the chemical abortions and the side effects of drugs. And then there's the physical abortions and the side effects of surgeries and so forth. Um, things like increased risk of cancer, um, potentially not being able to get pregnant in the future, um, and so forth. Then, second argument would be there are the mental, emotional consequences of abortion, which are no small thing. You've got increased risk of suicide, you have depression, you have all these other consequences, spiritual and emotional. Don't want to downplay that at all. And then, maybe the third argument is uh, safer for who? This is the argument that you've already made, right? It's not safe for the baby. Um, the, the baby dies. Um, so it always comes back to what's in the womb. Um, so e- even if we could make abortion completely safe, physically, emotionally, spiritually, for a woman, we're still going to argue against it because of what's happening. D- d- does that make sense? Like it really comes down to what, what is going on. Um, and then I think um, safer, than, safer than childbirth, I mean, we're at a stage where it, it's very, very rare for a woman's um, life to be at actual risk from having a baby because of, because of medicine. Um, okay, we don't have much time. I want to get, I want to touch on uh, this idea of so what? I know it's a person and I don't care. Right, because um, sadly, that's that is the darkening uh, of the of the mind that is taking place over the last uh, five decades. How do you respond? I, I would ask that person, "Do you have any friends?" <laughs> Seriously, and if you have did, you... <laughs> and if you did have any friends, okay. What would they feel, you know, how would they receive you as a, you know, person who cares less about human life? Yeah. You know? Okay. Rhetorical argument. Uh, you know. Yeah. Good. Asking questions is good. How would you feel if I killed you right now? How would you feel if I killed you right now? <laughs> yeah. What's the, what's the goal there? I think they would value their own life if you pulled a gun on them, you know what I'm saying? It's like, life is valuable, whether you want to, you know, confuse yourself or not. I mean... Most people would protect themselves if they were threatened. If they're you're you're sort of driving down to the question of like, are you really pro murder? No. Like, like are, like are you really seriously truly pro murder? Because that's what you're, that's what you're saying. Like, I know it's a life, and I don't care. We can kill it anyway. 
Brendan, you want to add? I don't know if this is an argument. I think that illustrates why we need the laws. Like, if we're going to oppose people who don't care, laws exist to stop people. To stop those kinds of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, the same thing with murder, same thing with any other crime. People who don't care to do those things. That's right. The laws that prevent it. So, I think it's interesting because they're almost proving why we need laws. <laughs> yes. You're like, thank you for proving my point for why this should be illegal. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you for playing. Um, go ahead. So, uh, first off, uh, a confession like that truly uh, disqualifies the person from even engaging in the discussion because they don't have an interest by their own confession. Second point is that they are confessing to a sociopathy that ought to disturb them, and if it does not, then they they need to take they need to examine their soul to see what remains. What do they care about if they don't care about this? There's something seriously wrong is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Somewhere. Something has gone seriously wrong. As a society, though, we, we all participate in this. There is a yeah. hardening of the society writ large because of the uh, desensitization and the normalization. Yeah. Okay. Here's I'm going to try to summarize my thoughts briefly on this and then we'll wrap it up um, here with a few comments. And I'm not saying that this is like the, honestly, I looked online to see like, how are people ad addressing this and dealing with this? And I really couldn't find much. So then I just had to do my own thinking. <laughs> resorted to it. Uh, I resorted to my own thinking. Um, okay, so here are some thoughts. Uh, number one, the goal is to get them to come to grips with what they are actually arguing for, which is murder. Most people are not truly in favor of murder, I think. Um, most likely the basis underneath this is some issue of SLED. We talked about that. Size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency is probably behind or underneath this argument somewhere, i.e., like they're admitting that it's a human being but not fully human or worthy of protection. So it's like going back to the sled arguments that we talked about before, um, asking, are you okay with mothers killing their two-year-old children if they no longer want them? If they say, no, I'm not okay with mothers killing their children if they are born, okay, if not, why not? Any argument that you would make for defending a two-year-old would equally apply to the unborn. That also takes us back to sled. Uh, if they say, yes, I am okay with mothers killing their children even if they're born, uh, then that means you are literally in support of legalized murder. And I would want to submit that this is an evil, uh, wicked position. Th this is sheer, it's sheer evil. P places you in the same category of the Nazis who wanted to exterminate Jews who they considered subhuman, justifying their extermination. I think a third approach is asking them lots of questions, forcing them to consider their position and to give a justification for it. Like, how can you be okay with a mother murdering her child? Well, this is different. Well, really, how so? Uh, how is abortion different than killing a two-year-old? Why is it okay to kill a pre-born but not a newborn? Should we le legalize murder in the nation, across the nation? Well, no. Well, why not? On what basis would you argue against murder? Any argument that they make would apply to abortion? Um, I, I think a fourth thought is to share uh, the gospel, to bring it back to uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is evil. Like, this is wrong. Um, 
And so this is a presuppositional argument. We talked about that earlier, so I won't go back to it again. And then fifth, um, man, at some point, when do we realize we're throwing pearls before swine? Like if they literally are in that place, then maybe that's like maybe that's not a person we can actually have a kind of conversation with. Um, two encouragements. Two encouragements as we close today. Uh, first, stay laser focused on what really matters most of all: personhood. Um, a person's a person, no matter how small. That means they have the right to life. They deserve protection and a chance to live. Until that issue is settled when you're talking with someone, everything else is a distraction. This is the thing that brings moral clarity and conviction to the abortion debate and prevents us from talking past each other. So keep asking, does this argument to justify abortion work as a justification for killing toddlers? If not, then it's clear they're assuming that the unborn are not fully human. And so we want to frame the debate around the question, what is the unborn? Second encouragement, uh, remember that people are rarely one on the spot. Um, even after you make really compelling pro-life arguments, don't expect people to immediately turn and change their minds. And this gets back to, uh, to just the work of God in the midst of all of this. We don't know what God is going to be doing in their hearts and in their minds. We trust him for that because it has to be his work anyway. Um, faithfulness is what we're after here. As Christians, our job, like what is success for us as Christians? The answer is faithfulness. Like the results of the work that we do in order to save life or defend life really comes down to are we being faithful to speak the truth, to do what we can, the, the fruit, the results of all of our labors are completely in God's hands, right? So we go out on Saturday mornings to plan parenthood. We, we try to save lives. We try to share the gospel. Um, what is our measure of success? Our measure of success is not uh, defined by what we see as the fruit. The measure of success is are we being faithful in the, the work that God has called us to do? Um, we have to remember we do this all with gentleness and respect. The truth is powerful. God is powerful. We don't have to scream. We don't have to act like we're better than other people. Uh, we're going to see this morning, <laughs> but by the grace of God, there go I. We're, we are no better. And somebody better say amen. 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 <laughs> amen. All right. Last thing I'll say is uh, get in the game. The Human Coalition survey showed only a fraction of people who think abortion is morally wrong actually participate in any efforts to end abortion. And the two main reasons people choose not to get involved was lack of conviction about what they believe and lack of courage. They don't want to get into the conflict. Um, so get in the game. It's going to be hard. It, it, it's going to be hard, but God is faithful and powerful to help us. And this is a slippery slope issue because if, with abortion being accepted, then there's the feeling of old people. I have a vested interest. But you Correct. Know, when people up in Canada, they decide if you're not, they'll just off you if you're done. That's right.
The devaluing of human life in one place leads to the devaluing of human life across the board, 100%. All right, let's pray because it's all God's work. Lord God, we, we just thank you and praise you for rescuing us from our sin, from slavery to th- sin. Uh, we thank you and praise you for enlightening our minds. We wouldn't know or believe uh, the truth apart from your work in, in our lives. And so we just give you thanks and praise. Lord Jesus, we pray again for your help. Lord, we recognize um, it's far bigger than, than us, Lord, and it seems overwhelming, but our part is to be faithful uh, with what you have put in front of us to do. And so, God, I just ask and pray that you would give us courage and give us compassion, give us a heart uh, for, for the lives of the unborn, also the women who are going through this. Lord, I pray that you would help us each to be faithful as Christians individually and need to help our church to be faithful as a body in, in this ministry of life. Uh, Lord, we ask and pray uh, for your work powerfully. We pray again, as we did at the beginning, just for an end to this. Um, a, a, really, it's a holocaust, Lord. We pray for an end to abortion. We want to see it in our lifetime. We want to see you work, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up people um, that would give their whole lives to this one issue. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ten seconds. Thank you. The arguments that we talked about today, and as soon as we don't get.